This morning, as we go back to the Beatitudes, we are doing a series on the eight characteristics of the Christian life. And so we discovered in going back to chapter 4 that this context of the Beatitudes is written by Matthew in a way that you and I are to understand that as Jesus began his earthly ministry and began to preach what he was going to preach to the people in those days, that his message was a very simple message. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And so when you think of that, the kingdom of God is near, what he is really saying is, turn to God now. Because his reign is going to be established in the world. You see, up until this time, the Jews had been called as God's people to represent him in the world, in a world that has rejected God. In fact, if you go and look at the history of humanity, you see one culture after another not worshiping one God, but multiple gods. And worshiping their gods, little g, with incredible devotion and insane wickedness. In fact, the way they worshiped their gods influenced how they lived. And it's just amazing to me how incredibly wicked every society has been upon the face of the earth. There was a discovery in South America that was really quite amazing. It was the discovery of, the, of that culture that we know as the Mayan culture. And when they first discovered this, National Geographic published an article saying, we have found the real Eden of men, of humanity. And they built this culture that had been lost as the one pure culture that had survived throughout the ages, but only passed in the recent century because of wars and other outside influences. And so they painted this Mayan culture as some righteous, good, glorious people who never harmed anyone. But as the archaeologists dug dip, deeper into the, into the Amazon jungle and come, covered more things, they began to realize that this once pure, righteous people were bloodthirsty murderers. And so the question then becomes... Is there any righteousness anywhere in the world? And the answer is no. This is why Christ came into the world. And so as Jesus is coming into the world and he's beginning his preaching up in the regions of Galilee, he is telling people, turn back to God. Why? Because they were turning away from God. And they were using other religions to do it. They were not worshiping the one true God. And more importantly, they were be inviting, they, he was inviting them to come under the reign of God, which means they would have to be transformed in their affections. We found that so far in the Beatitudes, that these Beatitudes that Jesus gives and teaches are descriptions or commendations of what the good life is for people who are sinful and wicked in their hearts. That these teachings paint for us something of the character of the one who comes to discover the grace of Christ. And in discovering that grace begins to walk in God's reign upon their life. And through the power of the Spirit 
come into that relationship with God such that their lives are continually transformed by his grace. And the most amazing thing is when Jesus finally comes to that place where he sits down and begins to teach this, he sees the hunger of the crowds who have come, not for the healing that he offered to those who were physically sick, but to those who hungered for God but did not know how to find him. And so now we come to that word of God that Jesus gave in chapter 5. I just invite you as a part of the history of our culture as Presbyterians, would you join with me as we stand and we read these words of Jesus? As we read chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. And I invite you now to hear the word of God. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This is the word of God. You may be seated. As we go through these eight different uh, Beatitudes, one of the things that Matthew is showing us is this is the essence of Jesus' teaching. Well, if it's the essence of the message of the kingdom of God, then all the more that we better understand it. I don't know about you, but when I think of mourning, I think of what happened with Gary this past week. I'm in a depression. I am truly depressed in my heart that God did not answer our prayers and getting Gary through that. In fact, as I talked to the family, one of the things that astounded me was everyone, everyone in the family was convinced that Gary was going to come through this. Now, Bonnie is the only one who said that she surmised that something else was going on and she was not so certain in her own life and in her own spirit. But as I think of the grieving that I'm going through and seeing Gary pass away from us, it, it, it cannot compare with the grieving that Bonnie must be feeling. With that word, blessed are those who mourn, Jesus is using a word that is descriptive of such mourning. Think of the darkest, most horrific place you have ever been where you see things that you can't change, can't fix, can't remedy. Most people experience that at the loss of a loved one. I was thinking about my dog. If I lost my dog, what would I feel like? I remember Dot Morrow, member of this church. She still lives in Locust, still thinks herself as part of this congregation. When she had a poodle that passed away, has she grieved that dog like you wouldn't believe? I mean, I have never seen anyone so remorse over losing a pet in my life. And I looked at her and I said, Dot, why? Why does this dog affect you so much? She said that that dog was everything to her. She said, and you know something? The reason I love that dog so much is when I came home, he, she was always glad to see me. She met me at the door every time. And I love that. And I thought, you know, maybe there's a lesson there. And then she said, I love that dog so much because not only did the dog meet me at the door every time I came home, it didn't matter what kind of attitude I was in. That dog was just always happy to see me. I could have had the worst day in my life and I come in and the dog is just so happy to see me that it just cheered my heart. And I said, really? She said, yeah. 
And the third thing about that dog was unlike your family members, that dog never spoke back to me. And I thought, well, there it is. I find it striking because in the truest sense, we have become a culture that has become pet crazy. Do you know why? Because we've become uncivil as people in how we treat one another. When people spend more money on their dogs than they do on each other, what does that tell you? This is not the way those who follow Christ should live. In fact, it is what Christ came to save us from. He came to build a new humanity, a new humanity from both Jew and Gentile. And so when we think about blessed are those who mourn, Jesus is not talking about personal bereavement, though that word may be used in that way. Here he's talking about that understanding of our wretchedness before God. You see, when he says blessed are the poor in spirit, it is the first indication that Jesus' teaching reveals for us just how impoverished we are when we stand before God. When you pray, don't you feel awkward? Don't you feel unworthy? Don't you feel unsuitable to be in God's presence? Where does that come from? It's poverty of spirit. It is, the, it is the awareness of the Holy Spirit at work in your life that there is something about you that doesn't fit in God's purpose in creating you. And the problem goes back to sin. And blessed are the poor in spirit because they become aware of this enmity Blessed, Jesus says, you are because if you understand this enmity, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Meaning those who don't. Those who don't want to face it. Those who want to justify their sins. Those who want to excuse their sins. They'll never enter the kingdom of God. But those who see their sins for what they are, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here he comes and says, blessed are you when you mourn. Mourn what? You mourn the wretchedness of your own heart as you face God. Everyone in that crowd knew exactly what Jesus was saying. You see, the Pharisees had worked out a religion that said, you just do these certain things and you're in with God. And they even twisted the law, the law of God in such a ways that they taught it so that it actually burdened people more, not less. And people thought, okay, if I just go to church, if I just do this, read my Bible, if I just do this kind of religious activity or ritual, then I can stand before God. And no one ever felt secure that that was true. And so what did they do? They just did it more and more and more. Do you know that's what the religion of Muslim, the Muslim religion is about? One of the ways that you're asked when you talk with the people who come from that kind of religion, how do you know you're saved? The answer is when you have done enough good. And when you say, how much is that? They say, when it's enough. They don't give you an answer. In other words, they don't know. Do you know that actually as a Christian you can live that way? You as a Christian can 
grow up in the church believing that somehow by your good works you can be acceptable to God. And so you work as hard as you can to be a respectable person. Do the right things. Give enough money. Support this endeavor. Work in this ministry. But you don't know, and you know in your heart is probably more true than not, that what you're really looking for is security that God loves you. And there is no security in any of those things. Why? Because the only security that God gives is Christ and those who seek him. This is why Jesus was talking about repent, come back to God, and believe in me. He was telling these people that the way to find their satisfaction in the midst of their struggle of identifying their sin was not in solving their own sin problem, it was in trusting in him to solve it for them. And so as they look at the wickedness of their life and they think about how far from God they have lived, how their heart enjoys doing evil, it is at that point mourning becomes a real and existential problem for the Christian. You see, before I was a Christian, I really didn't care how much I sinned. Before I was a Christian, I might have known some certain things were wrong to do, but it really didn't matter because as long as I didn't get caught, it didn't affect me. But when you become a Christian, sin becomes so much more of an issue in your life because you're desiring in your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit to be more and more like Jesus. And the closer you get to Jesus, the more you realize you are not like him. And so as we mourn this wickedness that's in our hearts, we also mourn it not only within ourselves, we also suffer because we desire that the world would know this God we have come to accept and believe in. And so as we worship him, as we follow Jesus, as we give ourselves to him, so many people look at us and they go, what kind of an idiot are you? Look what's happening in our culture. Christianity as a whole is seen as an imbecilic belief, having no foundation for any life-giving atonement. In fact, people look at us, and when you say, I'm a Christian, they kind of go, okay. I remember distinctly when I was coming home from seminary, I was flying home on Piedmont Airlines. Remember Piedmont Airlines? What a great airline that was. I want you to know I enjoyed every bit of that. I'd come in at the 10 o'clock flight from Boston to Charlotte, and I just thought that was the best flight ever because it was only $110 round trip. As I would come in on that flight, I was, every flight I had, I would have to sit beside somebody. And, and one of the things you learn as a seminary student is you have to be careful what you tell people you're studying. Because one gentleman was sitting there, and he must have been on his fourth or fifth mixed drink on the way home to Charlotte. And we started talking, and he said, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm, I'm attending school in Boston. And he said, what, what kind of school? I said, seminary. He said, what's a cemetery? I said, no, it's a seminary. It's where you're trained to become a pastor. He said, you're going to become a pastor? And I said, that's right. And about that time, his whole drink just came spewing out of his mouth. like. And then for the next hour, he kept telling me what a wonderful person he was. 
how much time he gave to the poor, how much he loved his wife and his kids, what wonderful ideas he had for his life and how he was going to save the world. Why did he do that? Because he wouldn't face who he was. You see, this is why Jesus is such a controversial person even in our day is when you come to Christ, Christ exposes people for who they are, sinners separated from God. And when you and I are confronted by our sins, now hear this, when you and I are confronted by our sins, there's only one of two reactions people will give. One is they will justify it, excuse it, ignore it, and somehow say, I'm not as bad as I think you think I am. There are Christians that way. The closer you get to God, the greater you begin to see your sin. And the first reaction is to say, I'm not like that. The other is repentance. I am that way. And I need forgiveness. I need a savior. Those two responses. When you and I begin to think about mourning, it is that second one that is so obvious to us. We mourn as we get closer to Christ, how lustful we can be, how selfish we can be, how arrogant we can be. Because the closer you get to Christ, the more it becomes evident to you that within you is this power that is opposed to God. And it's at that moment that you say, oh my Lord, what hope do I have? And not only that, because you are a Christian, because you have come to put your faith in Christ and you repent of your sins, you care deeply for the things of God. When you hear people taking God's name in vain, your ears kind of itch and burn. When, 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 you, when you look at what's happening in the world and you see the stuff on TV, there's not just sorry these things are happening, there's godly sorrow in the sense this isn't right. This isn't the way things are supposed to be. There, there's this understanding in my heart that I am deeply concerned about this world because it is not the world that God created and I want to do something about sex trafficking that is now hubbed in Charlotte where I hear 14-year-old girls being raped by men and thrown into prostitution. When I hear of, of things happening in our culture where people are robbing other people blind. One of the stories I didn't tell about Gary and Bonnie was that they actually had some uh, a computer uh, issue where they basically had 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 someone contact them through a a email, and in that contact through that email, they had snookered the Rombergs into buying a product, and it never was delivered. It never was carried through, and so as 
Gary was in the office one day. These people called him to say, you need to pay a little more money. And he said, we're done. We're through with you. You're a scam. We're not going to deal with you anymore. And as he told me what was going on, I was incensed. I was incensed that anyone would take advantage of somebody like that. And anyone could be duped. Where does that come from? It comes from that understanding of who God is. And what is true righteousness. The suffering we go through is not just in those things. It deals with every part of our lives. When we see in our marriages things that are not right, but we gloss over them. But we know it's not good. When we treat our neighbors less than human because they bother us or irritate us. Where we tell things that aren't true because we've heard it from someone else and we don't even bother to verify its truthfulness or not. All of these things cause us great grief, great mourning. Because we know this is not the way God meant it. And Jesus says, if you come to that point where you were so vexed in your spirit, blessed are you. Happy are you. What? How can anyone be happy over that? And his answer is because God will comfort you. Blessed are you who mourn, for you shall be comforted. The implication is, you shall be comforted by who? By God. You see, Jesus assures those who follow him that as they dedicate their lives to him, give themselves to him, repent and follow him, that they are going to find in the midst of all that uncertainty and angst of their spirit, of the unrighteousness of the world and the sin that is so close in our own hearts, that it is through Jesus Christ and Christ alone that we find comfort because he is not only able to pay for the penalty of our sins, he forgives our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that beautiful? It's not we that somehow go take a shower and get cleaned up. No, we can't do it. It's this Jesus who cleanses us, who makes us acceptable to God. I have nothing to brag about except that I have him at work in our hearts, in my heart. And the most comforting thing about that is that when he says we will be comforted, it is that truth that as I feel this angst in my heart that I am not what God wants me to be, that I'm doing things that don't please God, that I not follow the normal course of human sinfulness and recoil, draw from away from God. Remember what happened with Adam and Eve in the garden? When they sinned against God, what did they do? They hid from God. No, if I follow Christ, I no longer hide. I am drawn to God because of what Christ is doing. And in being drawn, God draws close to me. This is why John Newton wrote that beautiful hymn, Amazing Grace, 
How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And not only that, comfort comes from Jesus. He promises that he sends to those who believe and repent the Holy Spirit, who is called the Comforter. The Comforter. I've tried a lot of furniture in my life, but you have not felt any comfort until you get into a lazy boy lounge chair. You don't believe me. Well, we're going to have a church retreat and go to the lazy boy store together. And it is amazing when you sit in that chair and lay back and put your full weight upon it. You just say to yourself, yeah, that's right, Nora. Uh, do you know that's what happens when you pull your full weight of your sins upon Christ? When you believe that he has paid for them in the cross. When you trust that he is at work in you to conform you, to transform you, that what you're going through today is part of that transformation where he's teaching you how to trust him. And then finally this morning as Jesus talks about comfort as we live with that repentant spirit where we stop justifying our sins and owning them that we open ourselves to God's presence in ways we never knew him before. Remember the story of David when he had slept with another man's wife? He did everything he could to cover it. He, he even had the husband sent up to the front lines to be killed, and it didn't work. Until finally, he took things in his own hands to make certain that the truth of what happened never got out. Only problem was there was a prophet who God told Go tell David I know. And when the prophet stood before David and said, There was a man in our kingdom's king who had no sheep. He only had one. But his neighbor had a thousand. And the one who had a thousand sheep had some people come and stay with him that night. And he went to that neighbor who only had one sheep and stole it. And cooked it and fed it to his guests. What are you going to do about that, O king? And David stood up on his throne and said, Tell me who this man is. I'm going to eviscerate him with justice. And Nathan the prophet looked at David and said, You're the man. For you have stolen another man's wife. And David could have done two things. Well, I'm king. I'm special. I deserve whatever I want. It's not what he did. He fell on the ground. 
And he cried out and he said, I have sinned against you, O God. It was the only thing that saved him. The only thing. Blessed are you when you mourn. Blessed. Happy. Because you will be comforted. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you that you have provided a way for us to deal with our sins. And in that provision... You are a forgiving God, but you do not forgive without intent. Your forgiveness is meant to transform and change and to lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. So our prayer this morning, O God, as we are a congregation working out our salvation. If this is the essence of Jesus' teaching, then I need to camp on this for a long time if I am going to be part of the redeemed. If I'm doing something and I think it can be hidden, it won't be. If I'm involving myself in a way that dishonors you, call myself a believer it will show itself to be what it is but if I am truthful with you and truly it is the only way I'll be comforted by the forgiveness that you offer God, there may be someone in the sound of my voice who's dealing with duplicity in their life right now. This is your wake-up call. The elders have had to deal with numerous cases like this. And it is never pleasant. But God loves you so much that if you have come to know his son, You will not find comfort until you come to that place of mourning. May by God's grace you be delivered to the glory of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.